This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. If we're to look at creating easier travel, different modes of transportation, even in southwestern Ontario, you think of how cool that might be. So let's turn and talk about the Southwestern Ontario Transportation Task Force. Takes us back in time a little bit, but when we look at what has been outlined for this task force to accomplish, what are you up to? Well, it won't be uh, transportation between Calgary and Banff, I can tell you that, because our focus certainly has to be and will be southwest Ontario, meaning from Woodstock through to Windsor, up through to Owen Sound, and uh, south of London, St. Thomas, and the uh, and the rural communities beyond. And uh, that our mandate is to look at uh, tra- various modes of transportation, how we can improve what we need to do, uh, and that uh, and uh, provide uh, a very clear direction to the province. For this, you'll know that uh, Minister of Transportation, Provincial Minister Caroline Mulrooney, was in uh, London pre-COVID to uh, uh, to announce uh, the intention. And uh, forgive the pun, it got derailed uh, with COVID to some degree. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we have to move forward. We have to progress. And the intention is to take uh, a number of uh, committee recommendations and uh, through that, uh, be very clear to the province what we think uh, is necessary for London and southwest Ontario, uh, uh, both uh, locally and regionally. And, uh, and that includes rail, for sure, top of mind for me. It also includes uh, air, it includes bus, and includes road transportation. So all of the, and there may be some other things I haven't factored in at this point, but, and the committee hasn't, uh, hasn't yet met to address it because they've only struck the committee formally. And uh, I was honored when the Premier uh, and uh, the Minister of Transportation asked me to chair the group. Well, you are the chair of this task force. When we look at timeline for this task force, because obviously when we're talking about things like rail or things like air or even bus, this is not, hey, can we get that done by uh, Tuesday of next week? (laughs) That's not what this is. So how do you see the timeline shaping up for this? Well, the mandate we've received is uh, for committee members to meet in uh, May and report back within 12 months. That seems like a long time to me. Uh, There isn't a mayor, uh, a chief of First Nations, uh, various uh, transportation-related groups, be it private uh, or more public, that don't have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, And so my hope is to accelerate all of that. Uh, But the time and, and the intention is that when it is done, it will inform the uh, the uh, Ministry of Transportation as to how they want to deal with Southwest Ontario, and uh, so I'm hopeful to accelerate that because that feels way too long to me. It's nice to have uh, room if we needed it, uh, but I'm hoping to accelerate it dramatically. Is it about connectivity, being able to get from one place to the other without making use of your own vehicle? Well, it would include use of vehicle too, because when you even imagine the 401 and some of the, the safety issues that have come up over some years around that. I, I think uh, anything related to transportation, including uh, 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 vehicles, cars, trucks uh, on roads, uh, matter. And so it will be a combination of all aspects of transportation uh, throughout the region. And, uh, and uh, so I'm not to put any limits on what that could include. All right. Well, this uh, this sounds like there will be brainstorming sessions that could go very late and long into the night, but 
who knows what they could produce. This this at least gives us something positive to look forward to. Do you feel that there will be money available for this in the long term? If you say, here's what we think we need, do you think you'll get the backup for that? There has to be. I mean, firstly, the Premier and the Minister of Transportation were very clear that they wanted specific recommendations. And with uh, much of that comes a price tag. And uh, I can't... Uh, uh, presume what that will be at this stage, uh, but we'll have some factoring of that. No different than when, uh, when on behalf of London and the province, uh, I recommended to the Premier uh, and the Minister of Finance about uh, the business education tax. And uh, they took the suggestion, even uh, uh, made some improvements on it, and uh, dramatically important for business property owners in terms of their tax rates. So uh, you've got, and, and it cost the province to do that some $560 million. And uh, but they made that investment because they felt it was important uh, economically. So when we talk about you talk about passengers, and that's right, but we can't ignore the commercial component of this as well. The two go hand in hand, and a healthy economy gives you the resources as well to be able to do the things that matter at the passenger level as well. Great stuff, Mayor Holder. Thanks so much for the update on this, and good luck in getting that meeting moved up and getting started. Well, let's all be optimistic. Uh, we're going to move this forward. Uh, we're pretty, uh, we're pretty excited about what this could uh, turn out to be, and uh, and and I've I've already spoken to the to my vice chair of the task force, Drew Dilkins, mayor of Windsor, on this, and he's equally excited because uh, whatever is good for London is good for the region. What's good for the region will be great for London. Mayor Holder, stay safe, and thanks for the time today. Mike, I appreciate it. Thank you. So let's switch to travel. You're probably not doing any of that in the very near future. We've seen the reaction to people who have gone traveling, especially those who were telling us, oh, no, 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 you stay home because we're all staying home. In fact, I'm going to create tweets that look like I'm staying home, a la Rod Phillips, the former finance minister. Wonder what he's doing these days. Uh, Let's look at whether or not, though, Canadians would be okay with even more travel restrictions. What about travel restrictions within your own province? Well, our good friend Mario Canseco at Research Co. has asked those questions and has answers from Canadians and joins us now. Mario, how are things going on this Tuesday? I guess you are almost at the afternoon in Vancouver. Almost at the afternoon, yes. Uh, we had an interesting weekend. They promised us snow, which is a big deal here, but it was just uh, sleet and rain. So a lot of disappointed kids out there today. Disappointed kids, and yet we're looking out our window right now and saying, even though we haven't had a lot of snow, when the day started, very few parts of southwestern Ontario could even see any patches of snow anywhere. But still, we're getting quite a bit of snow here, and if you want some, we would gladly ship that your way, put it on the mountains, wherever you want to stick it, because right now it's falling on our driveways and on our roads, and it's making things slick. It's making it that you don't want to travel at all, so maybe that leads to how Canadians are are feeling. If we're going to travel more than just the sidewalk or the road, how are Canadians feeling about travel bans or travel restrictions? 
Well, we've seen consistently a high level of support uh, for a couple of policies that were implemented fairly quickly by the federal government, uh, banning uh, anything related to the border with the United States, keeping it closed to non-essential travel, uh, making sure that anybody who's coming into Canada is into the mandatory 14-day quarantine or isolation period, uh, practically 9 in 10 Canadians supporting those two policies. But when we ask about other stuff, uh, the numbers are also quite high. 80% of Canadians who think we should prohibit non-essential travel from one province to another, and 72% who will prohibit non-essential travel inside your own province. So it's a complicated matter, uh, and it's something that uh, has been hinted at by specific premiers over the past few weeks, uh, and it's definitely something that many Canadians would like to see happening because of how many cases of COVID-19 we've had over the past couple of months. Our premier in this province reiterated that kind of a request today. So, all right, that would be for things like non-essential travel, and that would usually look to outside, outside the province, outside the country. What about what you found in a question regarding travel inside someone's own province? Well, it's an interesting thing because there is more than two-thirds of Canadians who believe that that should be the case. Seventy-two percent would like to see something like that happen. The level of support grows with age. Uh, Canadians age 55 and over at 78 percent, significantly lower numbers among those who are younger, uh, but also 81 percent of Canadians who voted for the Liberals. So if the federal government decided to talk a little bit about this, it's not something that is going to hurt them politically. Um, what we see here more than anything is Canadians sort of erring on the side of caution. You know, we we have a situation where you have specific areas uh, of the country that don't have as many cases as others. And there's definitely a little hesitation from those residents uh, who live there to say, well, why are we welcoming somebody who comes from a specific uh, area that has more cases than we do? So definitely a lot of concern from Canadians on the chances of somebody getting infected because of somebody else coming into your community. Mario Canseco joining us, president of Research Co. You've checked in on Canadians as far as how they feel about the border with the United States remaining closed to non-essential travel. What did you find out this time around? Very consistent numbers. Uh, The first couple of times we asked, it was 90%. This is back in September and November of 2020. We usually do this every couple of months. This time it's 88%, so statistically consistent with what we saw before. Um, There was a situation uh, where many people assumed that this had a lot to do with the situation in the United States. You know, we don't like Donald Trump, and there's a lot of craziness going on in the United States. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but it has nothing to do with who's the president. It has a lot to do with the caseload. And I think if you compare the numbers in most Canadian provinces with what is happening uh, in the states that are opposite the border, um, there's definitely a higher caseload. And that is one of the major concerns right now. You know, obviously, this has an effect on the tourism industry, um, a, a very big one, especially because of the year we've had. Uh, but you don't want to jeopardize that and allow a lot of people to come in here who maybe haven't been tested and who could bring the virus to your communities. One of the other things that you've been looking at on a really consistent basis is how many Canadians would definitely or probably get themselves vaccinated against COVID-19. In these latest numbers, any kind of change? You know, this is this has been remarkably consistent since we started asking, and, and what is really striking to me is we saw the changes. You know, when we were asking questions about COVID before the start of the summer, 
we saw more Canadians who felt that the worst was behind us, that everything was going to be fine, that maybe we were heading into a Christmas season where we could see family and friends and the vaccines would get here sooner. And even at that time, we had around one in six Canadians, somewhere between 15 and 20 percent, who said, I'm not getting vaccinated no matter what. Now we have the same situation with the numbers. There's one in six Canadians who say, this is not for me. I'm not going to get vaccinated. 16 percent uh, this time around, up from 14% back in November. Uh, so it's interesting because we see our level of concern with COVID-19 growing over the past six months, uh, but you still have the same number of Canadians who are hesitant about getting vaccinated. We're talking with Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. A couple of other things you were able to deal with, and we were talking about travel and how Canadians don't mind the restrictions, at least the majority of respondents saying that they don't mind those restrictions or wouldn't mind if there were provincial restrictions that were added in. But you were able to look at students going back to school. What did you find there across the country? Well, this one really depends on uh, the location of the respondent. Uh, It's one of the most contentious issues that we have tracked because we have 51% of Canadians who agree with allowing K-12 students to go back to in-class learning and 39% who disagree. So the numbers are significantly different from what we see in the questions related to the travel ban, for instance. Uh, Now, it depends on where you are. Uh, We look at Ontario, for instance, And there's uh, essentially 42% of Ontarians who are in favor of allowing K-12 students to go back and 48% who believe that they shouldn't. Very big difference in Quebec, where the level of support for sending students back to school is 56%, or in British Columbia, where it's 52%. So it's not something that is universal. I think it has a lot to do with how specific ministries of education across the country have been managing this. And you have a situation like the one in Quebec where they say send them back, and you have a situation like Ontario where there's more likely to be residents who say it's too soon to do this. Maybe we should hold off. Okay, one last thing. When this pandemic began and when people started to head home if they could, to work out of home if they could. There was a lot of talk about how you should do that. You should set up a workplace. You should stick to that consistent workplace. You should make sure that it resembles a workplace as as much as possible. Don't have you know a lot of distractions around or anything like that. And the other thing you should do is get up in the morning as if you were going to work and make sure that you had a shower or brushed your teeth. And you have followed along and you've asked Canadians how we're doing with our hygiene what did you hear back mario it's not fantastic we got 18 percent of canadians who say that they are having baths or showers less often than before the pandemic that's a up five points since november and one in ten ten percent who are brushing their teeth less often so one of the things that we need to remember is that you know you need to bring some sort of sense of normalcy uh, for the way things are going around the office if you're working out of home And it's uh, definitely not great. I mean, it's a good thing that we're all wearing masks outside because if one in ten of us are not brushing our teeth, it's good to be a little bit further away. Mario, great tips all around and great information as always. Thanks so much for this. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. That's Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. So, yeah, that's a change. That's a change from November, that fewer people are having baths or showers and fewer people are brushing their teeth. So while we're talking travel, 
We just got through a conversation with Mario Canseco of Research Co. on a majority of Canadians saying, sure, you want greater travel bans? You want bans for travel interprovincially? Yeah, okay. And a majority of Canadians, in some cases three-quarters of the country, answered, yeah, we'd be okay with that. Well, let's talk a little bit about hospitality tourism we know that things have been absolutely tough and that's probably not even a strong enough word frederick dimanche who is the director of the ted rogers school of hospitality and tourism management at ryerson university joins us now and it is great to have you with us professor dimanche how are things i'm good thank you good afternoon Let's kind of go through, first off, the tourism and hospitality industry. Are they able to hold out for just as long as this pandemic lasts? I mean, you stop to think, and you think, how are they even doing this? Well, it's it's so hard. As you know, this is the sector that has been hit the most uh, by, by the pandemic, and it's very, very, very hard. So, uh, there is not a day without a, a bankruptcy or a restaurant closing in a city or somewhere else. So um, you, you can imagine it's very difficult. So the professional associations, the, the the Tourism Industry Association of Canada and others are, of course, doing all they can to lobby the government and to get some some support, some financial support for, for the industry. But that doesn't replace actually working and getting some revenues in. So the longer the crisis is going, the more difficult it's going to be. And, and um, you know, the, the more uh, companies are going to have to declare bankruptcy, unfortunately. You mentioned that there have been bankruptcies already and that there are bankruptcies coming up. And uh, and we certainly can, can sit and think, sure, that that has to be happening. Do we know the rate at which that is happening right now? Is the rate growing I, I could not tell you that. I don't know. What we know is that there is a, a significant number of people in the hotel sector, uh, in uh, travel and tourism sector that have been unemployed. That's been well documented by uh, Tourism HR Canada. In fact, it's probably the sector that has the highest unemployment rate at the moment. Um, but, but, you know, what we see, I live in Toronto, and, and there is not a week without news of, of a, a restaurant closing or a travel agency closing. So um, I don't have the number about those uh, bankruptcies specifically, but uh, there, is, there is no question that, that the pressure is mounting, uh, and, and the pressure is not just about the lack of revenue, but also, you know, people have to pay their fixed costs. They have to pay rent, as you know. They, they have to pay a number of, of, uh, of utilities as well, and, and that, that adds up, and it becomes more difficult every day. Dr. Frederick Dimanche, director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Ryerson University, joining us. Dr. Dimanche, we were just talking about Canadians in a poll saying, yeah, let's let's lock down travel a little bit more. Let's talk about the airline industry and the idea that could we say, okay, no planes, no planes in the air right now. Could that even be an option? Frankly, I I don't think it is an option because, you know, we still have to fly. You know, there is still some... Some, some workers that need to, to travel across the country and internationally. Uh, cargo planes have to, you know, to, to, to get some, some equipment and food. And so there is a number of, of jobs that are dependent upon the transportation industry. And so uh, saying just 
blankly, you know, no more planes. You know, it, it's not realistic. You're still going to have some people flying. And then we have been talking about what is essential, you know, what is essential travel. So obviously uh, that definition has not been uh, uh, written yet. We, we don't know what the government is talking about when they talk about essential travel. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, for, for some you know, workers, it's going to be essential. But you could mention also that for some personal reasons, you know, there may be some essential travel. What if you go and travel because, you know, your, your parents are getting sick somewhere and you want to support them. So uh, all those reasons are, are, are not very clearly defined. I'm thinking about students also, you know, who, who may need to travel to, to come to school at the beginning of a semester or another. So um, it's still very unclear. And uh, that doesn't help the travel and tourism industry to plan for the future because we don't know exactly what kind of restrictions we're dealing with. Exactly. Well, I mean, you've outlined it perfectly as to why you can't just say, all right, turn off the lights, all planes grounded. It isn't going to work exactly like that. Not like in that, terms, no. no. In terms of recovery, is is there a time that that will become a major topic if it isn't already in hospitality and tourism, or do they still have to wait and see how much longer they may be greatly affected? Well, you know, it's it's a wait and see game. You know, we first have to to um, be in control of the pandemic. That's that's a sine qua non condition. We we all know this. But then it's going to be a question of you know the government. Uh, releasing some of the restrictions, restrictions on travel that at the moment are barriers to travel. Remember that any international travelers, uh, you know, coming back to, to Canada, coming to Canada will have to do a two week quarantine. So, uh, that's a big barrier in itself. And, and, and the government is even talking about imposing that quarantine to take place in a hotel. Um, so in those conditions, people are not very, uh, are not willing to travel and not very confident about travel. And, and keep in mind also that the volume of airplane in the air is maybe 10 or 15 percent of what it was a year ago. So there is nonetheless a very small number of people traveling. Uh, what will the uh, industry expect? Um, frankly, I don't know. It may take some time. We, we all think that, you know, in a few months we're going to be, uh, you know, controlling the, the, the disease. But then again, if we travel more, if we uh, release the pressure, uh, does that mean that the rate of infection will go up again? We, we don't know. So we're dealing with a situation that is very difficult to handle for businesses because we don't know what to plan for. Yeah, and I, I can't even imagine being in that. And I don't think anybody who isn't in it, you know, as much as it's uncertain for absolutely everyone when you're dealing yeah. with the hit that the, the travel and tourism and hospitality sector has taken it. Like you say, it's uh, it's easy to see how hard it has been hit. Anything else, Dr. Dimanche, that you think we need to know before we go? Well, I, th I think, you know, we, we need to, to think about uh, those restrictions that the federal government is going to possibly impose in the next few days. I mean, we've heard uh, uh, Justin Trudeau, you know, talk about uh, them working on new restrictions. So um, I'm, I'm very curious about, you know, what kind of restri restriction they will be and how they will be imposed, because it's, it's also one thing to impose some restrictions. 
it's it's another thing also to have them being respected by people. As you know, in Ontario, we have, uh, at least in Toronto, we have a stay-at-home order. And I can tell you that there's still a significant number of people on the roads and in the streets. So uh, it, it's not just about imposing a restriction. It's also making it uh, respected. So uh, we'll see how that goes. We will. Dr. Dimash, thank you so much for the conversation today. Keep safe. You're welcome. I do. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is Dr. Frederick Dimash, director of the Ted Rogers School of Hospitality and Tourism Management at Ryerson University on why you can't just say, all right, just stop with all the travel. It, it doesn't quite work that way. And he outlined so many different reasons as to why, but it's a matter of if you don't have to, don't do it. And in doing that, well, tourism, hospitality, hotel, restaurant, they continue to feel the impact and will until we can say, okay, we're, uh, we're in a better spot right now. You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.